Hello, bonsoir, and welcome to the Get French Football News Show. I'm Nathan Staples, and joining me this evening are Rich Allen and Pierre-Paul Birmingham. The final international break of the season has breezed by, but before we talk Lebler and a look ahead to the first silverware of the season on offer on Saturday, here are the latest headlines. Le Bleu began the European qualification adventure on Friday night with a 4-1 win over Moldova. Antoine Griezmann, Raphael Varane, Olivier Giroud and Kylian Mbappe all got on the score sheet in a comfortable win that saw Vladimir Ambrose score what would be much more a famous goal for the home side. The second match this evening against Iceland was a Almost similar result as they ended up 4-0 winners. Samuel and Titi got the hosts ahead. And in the second half, goals from Olivier Giroud, Kylian Mbappe and Antoine Griezmann sealed the victory. That means they have six points from a possible six and sit atop of their qualifying group. And that's all for now. But to keep up to date with all the news in the world of French football, head on over to our website at www.getfootballnewsfrance.com and follow us on Twitter at GFFN. We start this week, where else but Le Bleu's International Weekend? And it's a two very strong results, albeit not necessarily surprising, Rich. And we'll start with the game tonight because it's the most fresh in our memories and probably the more impressive performance with that 4-0 victory over Iceland. It wasn't quite as dramatically um, one-sided, uh, maybe, it, it, well, it was very one-sided, but I suppose that it, it didn't, it did take a while for them to, to bash down the Iceland doors to such a degree of 4-0, but um, especially in the second half, they were a little bit irresistible, weren't they? Uh, they did, yeah. It felt as though it was um, sort of second gear, I think, in the first in the first half. They got an early-ish goal with, with Ntiti's header. Um, and, it, well, first of all, I think it looked like they were really enjoying themselves. I think that was fairly evident with, with some of the flicks and tricks that we saw, but it felt very much second gear. I think at half time, I think Deschamps probably just reminded them that it was only one nil, um, and that you know it wasn't wasn't anything definitive at that point. Second half, I think we really, really saw them um, move up the gears. Some of the stuff they were playing was was absolutely fantastic. Um, I'm I'm of the belief this these kind of performances and the style that they're playing really should put to bed any of those concerns and 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 sort of naysayers on the style that France were playing. Um, you know, certainly during their World Cup success, um, you know this this is a team now that's very good, and and for my for my money anyway, it's only getting better. Um, it was it was just a very very accomplished performance. I think every single player on the pitch had a uh, can come away feeling that they contributed to some degree in a positive manner. Uh, there were those that that stood out exceptionally, um, and you know yet again Griezmann is one of them really proving to be the, the the integral player in that French team. I thought Pogba looked very composed. He looked mature. Um, you know, yes, he's trying some audacious stuff, but it's at the point in the game when he can. And and more often than not, he's actually pulling it off. We saw in the first game against Moldova a, a, a fantastic flick over the top. He tried something similar a couple of times tonight. Almost came, certainly one almost came off for, for Giroud, um, Mbappe is just looking more and more confident. Um, if indeed he can look any more confident on the international scene, that back heel set up for Griezmann's goal was 
was Mbappe through and through, I thought. Um, took his goal really, really well. You know, for all the tricks and skills that he's got, that was just natural finishing ability. Um, being able to control the ball, burst into the box, and under a great deal of pressure from defender and goalkeeper, managed to get his, his shot away as he was losing his balance. Um, they're looking dangerous from set pieces. It was the second goal tonight that a, um, one of the French centre-backs uh, got on the score sheet with. So all in all, it's looking like a really, really well-rounded team now. Um, you know, you look at the players that were brought into the team that have come from, you know, I look at Kazawa as probably the, the main example of this. I was not particularly in agreement. He should have been in the squad, but here we are two games later and, you know what? He's done really, really well. He, he looked tonight was certainly a better game than than the first game. But you know what? He, he he didn't look particularly rusty. He was good getting forward. He wasn't too adventurous. Uh, some of the crosses I thought were were fairly unlucky on his part. There's one certainly in the first half that was a a brilliant cross uh, across the face of goal. Just sadly, no French attackers there to tuck it away. But yeah, I, I just I struggle to find fault with any of the players really tonight. I think it. A really, really good team performance uh, with the big name players once again really stepping up. And I think to add to that, Pierre, the the, the man that I thought was the the standout performer, at least not playing in second gear for the first half, as many others may be accused of, was uh, Benjamin Pavard, who's still sort of playing in not necessarily his more natural position. He does play centre back for Stuttgart, and we'll be playing there for Bayern Munich in the in the next season coming as well. He really impressed again, delivered the, the cross for Giroud's goal, but overall was trying on multiple occasions to try and hit that outside volley again. But um, he really was um, the driving force in this one. Absolutely. And I think that was the only thing that would have made this evening even more perfect for France was that if Pavard had scored one of those two volleys, which, uh, well, we saw one of them from the same, the camera was at the same angle as the one against Argentina, and it looked so similar, just a little bit over, but he was really outstanding. Um, he was involved in a lot of the attacking play, the assist for Giroud's goal, as you mentioned. Uh, there were some interesting stats, actually, in, in L'Equipe today about Pavard, um, and they showed how, since the start of the World Cup, he is the player to which Pogba has passed the most, and the player to which Griezmann has passed the second most, um, in all the French matches since then, which shows that he's, I think, uh, got a very important offensive contribution. And he's very often kind of open out there on the right, unmarked, because he doesn't run forward as much as, uh, say, Kurzawa did tonight. Um, I agree with about the point you made, Rich, on Kurzawa's crosses. And I thought there was good improvement there with regards... Um, well, in comparison to the match against Moldova and in comparison to his previous performances in, in a French kit where his crossing was not always that great, but today was improved. Um, I thought overall tonight it was just a great atmosphere once again at the Stade de France, um, knowing that this is the last home, well, the last match at the Stade de France this season. Uh, it was good to be back in the party atmosphere. And I'd say overall, France have really started the qualifications, you know, probably better than ever with two four-goal wins. There was a little bit of worry about complacency and um, and style, as, as you mentioned, Rich, and I'm sure we'll maybe develop on those. But clearly those concerns have, have gone away for now, and there's a big improvement with regards to the start uh, for the World Cup qualifying campaign uh, last time around, which started, I believe, with a nil-nil in 
Bulgaria. Right now, we're uh, right on track. Absolutely, I think there's there's no degree of disagreement with that. But the the game on on Friday was strangely enough a, a slightly tougher test, rich than many expected. Moldova aren't really particularly well known for for their their great sides or, or particularly great players, and that's no offence to them. They do have someone mm-hmm. playing in a Italian football at the moment, which is a a good result for them. But uh, at the same time, it, it was a bit of a war of attrition at times. There was a, a terrific goal for for the opener, but um, they sort of laboured to afford for goals and then uh, allowed one sort of sloppy one at the end, which was a little bit of a a smear on that performance, really, where they again. Was that a, a, a test that at least it wasn't much like the Liechtenstein result where they did end up drawing 1-1? Mm-hmm. It was there's it, it an improvement there, but at the same time, while, while they were creative getting through defences, are we disappointed by the fact that there was that slip of concentration at the end given the, the opponent involved and it was pretty much their only attack of the game? Uh, disappointed to a degree. I think it was Hugo Lloris, I think, that came out after the game and said, look, this this needs to serve as a warning. Um, and he's right, you know, France were in control of that game. They were never they, they, they never were in any threat of of not securing the three points. But, you know, we want to see concentration from zero to 90 minutes. You know, it, it's cliched, I know, but against the bigger teams, against the stronger teams, one lapse in concentration could be the difference between winning and losing. Um you know, again, you know, we saw, we saw, it was, I suppose it was a little bit like um, first half anyway, it was a little bit like tonight's performance where it felt sort of second gear. Mm. Um, whereas tonight we obviously saw them, you know, pull away and accelerate and that second half didn't, wasn't quite the same against Moldova. And they, they sort of cruised, I suppose, to the finish line. Um, uh, in a, I carry on this tenuous car link, if you want, but like it, like they were sort of freewheeling it, I suppose, and that's where then the lapse in concentration came. Um, you know, one th- one thing I fully suspect Deschamps will look to pick up on it are the sort of silly yellow cards as well. Mm-hmm. Um, Mbappe got one in against Moldova for a dive. Griezmann got one tonight for. Can't quite work out if it, if it was for the foul or for the descent afterwards. But mm-hmm. again, France were falling up at that point. You know, things like that, you know, knowing Deschamps as the perfectionist that he is and, and not one to just sit there, you know, lording on a on a, on a a comprehensive victory, he will look at that and he will bring that up with those players. He will bring that up with his squad. If those kind of things, you know, you don't want to see. You know, there was no need for those yellow cards, no need for the dive, no need for the descent. France were in a comfortable position. The win was secure. Why? You know, there's there's no need to do that. And that, that will be the one thing I think that Deschamps will take from this game that, if anything, would take a slight sort of chink of gloss over the off the two performances um, are those sort of needless yellow cards that that, that really were just, just very, very silly, I think, from both players' part, considering at what point the game was at. So mm-hmm. I think, yeah, I think, I think that's, that's the sort of concentration level and maintaining that to the very end of the game that Deschamps will take from this. Yeah. And, uh, go ahead, Varane, sorry. Yeah. Varane also had a yellow card against Moldova for kicking the ball away after, after a foul, I think it was, uh, which was also pretty silly of his behalf. I think the big difference between the two matches was that against Moldova, after the first goal, uh, the next, the few goals kind of 
followed them. They were much easier to score, which is generally what you expect with when you play against these these um, smaller nations. The hardest goal is always the first goal to score. Tonight, that felt a little bit different against Tyson because France actually scored fairly early on. And then, as we mentioned, um, we had to wait until the second half to add on to those. Um, and I think the Moldovans, I do think Deschamps was probably more annoyed by the yellow cards, as, as you said, um, than by the, the the little lapse of concentration at the end of the match. Because that was actually quite a, it was quite a happy moment um, to see the the... Moldovans celebrate that goal in front of their home crowd, going wild against the world champions in a, in a tiny stadium in, under a big kind of uh, Soviet building overshadowing it. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, don't don't let me take that away from them, at least anyway, yeah, from, exactly. from our... From our... <laughs> From our criticism, yeah, it was it was great to see the scenes of the a goal that'll be, you know, it, I think they mentioned on the the British commentary here that the that goal will get further and further out as he he grows in age really. And when he tells his grandkids that'll be a forty yard screamer, don't you worry about that against, <laughs> the, against the world champions. But Pierre, I want to sort of mention that we have talked about sort of the, the successes and failures of this that it's been an almost peerless result for them. But as you mentioned, with those yellow cards and and a little bit of disappointment and the lack of concentration at the very end of that game against Moldova, at least, is there a worry that the, the, the challenge really for Deschamps at this moment in time with the world champions, with the egos he's got in that squad, is keeping them drenched within reality and not let their heads go in these kind of games where, where they will get tougher against stronger sides? And those silly little mistakes may become big ones. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I think the point that he's trying to make about the yellow cards is more about uh, keeping the players concentrated and and competitive in these matches. Because in reality, if you know any one of them gets suspended for one of the matches in in the qualifying stage, it won't be a, a dramatic loss. Because one of the strengths of this team is that, um, despite having you know very having extraordinary world class players, there's no dependency on any one of them which we saw by having different goal scores um no no player scored two goals in 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 the same match over this weekend um just like that was the case in the world cup final by the way so i think he's he's concerned more about exactly keeping them uh you know concentrating and having high levels of expectations from them and so far that's working out perfectly yeah, and it's just maintaining that that might be the, the difficult thing as time goes by. But we wait and see really on that one more. But looking ahead really in terms of a France point of view, Rich, and, and there is sort of going to be some games for them come June time. That's the next time they'll meet up, similar time to when the, uh, the other four nations, at least anyway, involved in the Nations League still will be challenging as well. So they won't be in competition, which where France would have liked to have been, but it unfortunately stuck with the European qualifiers. But mm-hmm. how do we expect this any sort of changes over the the end of season, sort of heading into possibly next season? Because obviously this is always a, it's a cycle thing, isn't it, with these international tournaments? But what what do you see possibly different come to, come the summertime? Do do you think that Deschamps may see this as as time to maybe experiment? Because the difficulty with these sort of uh, more qualifiers and in a more dense environment much as we mentioned about the Nations League is there is going to be fewer friendlies for them to really test themselves against bigger teams or to try a couple of different things out so what might we see in the summertime with not just with the squad but how they play 
Well, Deschamps alluded to to something along those lines when the the squad was announced uh, last week, saying that you know the squad this time may not be the same as as come June, which is the next next international break. I, to be perfectly honest, I don't don't expect there to be too many changes. I think some of the injured players that missed out, um, you know, I think of the likes of Usman Dembele. I look at the likes of 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 Lucas Hernandez, maybe Benjamin Mendy, maybe Ferlan Mendy. I think you may be looking at those coming back in, certainly Kozawa did everything that could have been asked for him in terms of, of taking the opportunity that was presented to him. But, you know, you'd imagine if everybody is fit that that it's it's going to be probably two from the two Mendes and Hernandez. Um maybe if if you know if Kenny Lala can finish the season strongly, you know, he's in with a shout of of maybe seeing the squad, it certainly would be deserved if we go by his season so far. Um, I don't I don't expect there to be massive changes. Um, I really don't. You know, it, it would seem to indicate, and I think Deschamps' question, uh, sorry, Deschamps' answer around, you know, the squad may be slightly different come June was, was centred, I think, around a question posed to him about, I think it was Lacazette. Um, so whether, whether there's an opportunity there, for Lacazette to come in, you know, all he can do is continue to play well and score goals for Arsenal. Um, but it's 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 a tough ask. Um, you know, who from a central striking role for France, who do you drop? You know, they're not going to drop Giroud. They're not going to drop Mbappe. Mm. Griezmann, although he plays perhaps a little bit deeper, they're not going to drop him. Um, so it's really difficult for to see how Lacazette gets into this squad. And it's through no... No, you know, no, no fault of his own, and no fault for Trent. It's just unfortunate circumstance for him. Um, one player that probably won't help the situation for Lacazette, I think, has been the recent form of, of Moussa Dembele at Lyon. Um, mm. He's obviously scoring goals for the under twenty ones. He's really finding his feet now at Lyon. Um, there's, there's ultimately there's players all around that could come in, but you know, we know Deschamps likes his squad, likes the players that, that ultimately have served him well. You know, hence the reason why Thomas Lamar was brought in uh, when when Anthony Martial pulled out of the squad. You know, Thomas Lamar has perhaps not been as his best. I can't I can't say through through the fact that I've watched, but from what I have heard, Thomas Lamar has not been at his best for, for Atletico Madrid, yet was called straight back into the squad. Maybe there were other players that could have been called in ahead of him. Um, but, you know, Deschamps has his favourites. And as we saw tonight, he has his favourites because when he, he needs them to play well, they play well. Um, so I think come June, we're not going to see wholesale changes. I think with players returning from fitness and, you know, who knows which players pick up a knock between now and the end of the season. Um, I think it's probably probably only going to be injuries that would result in in changes to this squad, I don't think, um, I don't think form. Bear in mind, what is it? It's two, it's two and a bit months, is it? Um, you know, I don't think form will be as major a role. I don't think um, for for Deschamps as as the fact of just pure fitness. I think. But um, Pierre, in, in terms of, uh, I'll get your sort of personal opinion, I suppose, on this one. Uh, the, the, uh, this, this, we've mentioned previously about players we'd like to see in the squad, and, and the fact that he does sort of stick to his own players. But at the same time, with 
with this squad working so well in these last two games especially, would it be best for him to try and figure out good replacements for those players in those positions so he doesn't have to try and change this team too much in certain games? Or, or would you like him to simply pick the best available or the best he thinks um, in terms of the squad harmony that he has in, like he, well, very much like he has in, in recent times? I would say that second option seems uh, quite, I mean, it, it's essentially what he's been doing and it's it's been working out quite well for him. And we know that he has a, uh, he likes to uh, emphasize on that idea of squad harmony and, and, and staying loyal to the players that he knows work well with his methods. Because when you're picking a 23-man squad, you don't want to necessarily take the 23 best players out there. You have to take 12 players who will accept being a substitute. So... Uh, with regards to that, he also has a lot of information that we don't have. I'm seeing as you know, he's the one there. He's the one seeing the players, and that's possibly why players like uh, Lacazette or or Laporte, who purely based on, on on skill and on you know the level they're playing at, would be in, within a shout of this team, but rarely get called up. Um, I think this season he stayed very loyal to his uh, World Cup champions. You know, part, in in part to kind of to uh, continue with the celebratory um, mood that that there is around the team, um, but it's possible that next season we start to see changes. I would agree with Rich that you know going into the the June fixtures we'll probably be staying with a similar group, um, maybe a few differences because of injury, um, but next season after the transfer window. Uh, he'll probably be looking to bring in new players, potentially, depending on which of the current players are in a situation where they still have playing time in club or not. So we know that, for example, Thomas Lemar is having a little bit of a tough season right now in uh, in at Atletico Madrid, and uh, that he would, I mean, he probably wants to uh, find a way to get that resolved before next season. He's not the only one. Giroud also have Giroud also has pretty low playing time uh, at Chelsea. And um, I think also we shouldn't forget that there's some players that missed out on the uh, on the World Cup experience, but that are still in, in Deschamps' mind. And the recent proof of that is that Anthony Martial and Kingsley Coman were both called up for this uh, international break, even though in the end, neither of them played because of injury. But they were kind of the breakout stars at, at Euro 2016 um even though they missed out on the world cup and so we might be seeing some of them again and they might be putting competition on on players like like florian tovin who hasn't always performed very well in a french kit and it'd be interesting to see how they they do develop and i'll keep banging the uh, sebastian alia training so it actually yeah. happens He's a perfect <laughs> replacement for the man we're going to chat about briefly now which is olivier Giroud, who, much like you mentioned there Pierre, that hasn't had the playing time at chelsea and he's his grievances about that is maybe the best way of putting that this week rich in a, in a number of of different interviews he, he said that he's not particularly happy with his playing time he doesn't want to be a Europa league striker he wants to be um more of a permanent fixture somewhere and has left the door ajar shall we say for a league and club but especially one in particular to come and get in because he did ask uh, he was asked about Leon and he said it's a great club he has great admiration for Jean-Michel Olas and one direct question of saying would if he was to return to Ligue 1 would his priority be Leon? he said yes um 
it'd be an interesting one. But do you think that that would be a match made in heaven of, of of Giroud to to Leon, or do you think it may be a bit of an awkward fit with the style that they're playing at the moment? Well, look, first and foremost, I would love to see him back in France. I can't, I can't disguise that for one moment. However, if if first team football, regular first team football, is what will will drive this move for Giroud, I just don't see Leon being that team. Um, you know, I mentioned it earlier. I thought Moussa Dembélé is now looking, you know, really starting to look like the real deal. Um, I think he's becoming a, a quite an important part of this Leon team. He's giving them a central focal point, um, but with the movement as well that perhaps Giroud maybe just lacks slightly. Um, so I, I just don't see him necessarily displacing Dembélé, and nor nor would I want it to see. You know, as much as I love Giroud. You know, I think we also have to think about the future as well. And and Dembélé is certainly uh, a, a French striking option for the future. So I want to see him continue to start for, for Lyon and continue to score as he is doing at the moment. So I wouldn't want to necessarily see Giroud come in there and take his place or, or limit, um, you know, the time that that, that that he gets on the pitch. Um, so I don't... I don't necessarily see how that Leon move works for him unless they are going to to unless they're going to completely either change formation, in which case then you're going to have players playing perhaps slightly out of position, or Dembele is dropped. Um I don't see how the, the Leon move works out for him. Um Marseille, the other team that's been linked. Um again, I'm not quite sure how that works, you know. Rudy Garcia has now started to to finally see sense that that playing two up front works, but I'm not sure a pairing of of Balotelli and Giroud would necessarily get the best out of either of them. Um, you know, Balotelli works well um, alongside Germain, and it's starting to look like a fairly you know, fairly handy partnership because Germain is 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 that sort of quick mover, creating space. Balotelli isn't about that anymore. Balotelli is about um, you know, just relying on his natural finishing ability. And to a degree, I think that's that's how Juru would work as well. So I don't see how the two of them really work together. Um, you know, you look at other teams who could possibly look at him, well, he's not going to get a move to PSG. Um, mm. <laughs> unless they're looking for a Cavani replacement. <laughs> I don't see him, you know, that, that that's a move that's just a non-starter. Um, so then you move down the table, you know, you look at, well, you know, with, with interest in a lot of players at Lille, for example, I know they're limited financially at the moment, but, you know, if something works out in the summer, bear in mind, he is a free, but of course he's going to be on a, a very, very good wage, you know, could they potentially offer him something, you know, Bordeaux have been linked with him before that they have kept an eye on him and, and even actually, I think made an attempt to try and sign him in the summer. They've got, New money under new owners, um, you know. Could they? Could they offer him something? Nice, you know. Maybe you know Patrick Vieira could tempt him. Tempt him there. Could we be all lovely and romantic and see him return to Montpellier? Um, there's. I mean, ultimately, I think there's options there. I just don't know if they're the right options for Giroud at this moment in time. I think he's still. I don't want to do down on too many teams, but I think he's still too good maybe for some of those teams that I've just mentioned and and those that he is good enough for, I just don't see necessarily where he fits in. So 
you know, I want to be, you know, sort of starry eyed and think, oh yeah, your homecoming, he's coming back to France. I, I don't know. I don't know if I necessarily see where or how it would actually happen. I think what you're saying is that there's a lot of moving pieces in, in, in his situation. And the first of which is, you know, the transfer ban at Chelsea right now, we don't know how that's going to turn out. And if it is confirmed, it's quite possible that Chelsea will just refuse to let any of their players go because they won't be allowed to, uh, you know, recruit otherwise uh, to replace them. Um, and in that case, I mean, I think that would be a little bit of a shame because it seems to me that Sarri is underusing Giroud. I think Giroud has the qualities to be playing in, in Chelsea's lineup more often than he does. Um, in the rare times where he has played um, in the league this season, we've seen him have great link-up play with, with Eden Hazard. They really play well together. And, you know, you raise the question of style at Lyon, notably, and I think Giroud can adapt to, to different team styles more than we give him credit for. Thank, uh, thankfully, to uh, well, thanks to his uh, uh, his link-up play and his his one-twos and his layoffs and so on, which can be very subtle. And there was some good. There was he did some good stuff um, concerning that tonight. He's still got the goal-scoring ability, in my opinion, to make it um, at Chelsea or anywhere in France. I mean, he's now the third best scorer alone for the French national team. He's the best goal scorer in Europa League, even though he doesn't even start in the league for, for his team. And then when it comes to Lyon, um, it's, I think Jean-Michel Oulas said, uh, the Lyon president, he said a few days ago that uh, the Giroud move could be interesting if one of his players were to leave, uh, which adds you know another complexity to the puzzle because then we have to work out which one of them is going to go and whether that might change uh, the Giroud situation based on, on, on their position. Added to that is the uh, I, is the, uh, the the problem around Bruno Genesio and is he going to stay this summer as Lyon manager? There's another uncertainty there. So, you know, it, at this point, it, it's so hard to predict where he will be next season. But I think he he, I mean, I I, I would hope that Chelsea, even if they do suffer from the chance for Bam, would let him go because they don't play him that much. And he will he will probably need to get more regular playing time um, looking forward to your 2020 than he is this season. Yeah, what an awkward time to get a transfer ban for half these players. I think who stuck on the stuck on the Chelsea bench and they're in yeah. their own system with a, the potential FIFA rules coming in as well. Uh, yeah, it's going to be a tricky one for him. It's, I think Lee Gus feels like a bit of a fantasy as well. He's. I know we probably won't say it, but his wages are going to be a big stumbling block as well, even if he does move. If he can agree That's Chelsea true. to pay a little bit, but they're unlikely, aren't they? So yes, it's just going to make it a bit more difficult. Okay, on to things happening on Saturday, because we do have a, a real, uh, well, the first showpiece event, really, of French football at the weekend in the Coupe de la Ligue final. And I think it's got us all excited, Rich, with it finally mm -hmm. being a final without Paris Saint-Germain involvement and it's I suppose not even a top four involvement which makes it even uh, more intriguing because it takes Strasbourg will be taking on Gangon it's, it's a big game for both teams really that's maybe the best way of saying it but starting with Strasbourg who have really been distracted really since they got to the final they've not won in the league since that victory over Bordeaux uh, this is sort of their, their accumulation of this season it's not I don't want to have to say they have to win this game but uh, it's becoming more and more important to them 
Well, I think so. Um, as you say, their their form has has deserted them a little bit. They're sort of scrabbling around for for draws here and there, and they've picked up some perhaps surprising losses. I mean, we go back to the beginning of February when they lost two one at home to to Angers. Um, yeah, they've not not been at at their best really. I, I think that probably stems all the way back. You know, they had a really, really good end to the year and a really, really good start. You know, end of 2018, beginning of 2019 was really, really good. You know, they were they were winning games. They were as high as, I think, fifth at one point. Everybody was talking about, you know, is, is this going to be some, you know, marvellous um, sort of return to, to European football after everything that the club has been through? And then it sort of just dropped off. And, yeah, I suppose there's a danger of their season you know, they're safe first and foremost, which is which is I think achievement number one um, net as far as the club are concerned. But there is a danger for a season that perhaps, surprisingly, yes, but perhaps promised uh, you know something rather good at one point. There's a danger it could fizzle out. So it does feel a bit like a an all or nothing game, and and maybe you know Strasbourg if they don't come away with with victory in this final may feel a little bit disappointed for their season overall that you know something that that could have resulted in european football either through direct qualification in the league or um uh, success in the coupe de la league evaded them but um you know it's it it is really nice and you know we all have to sort of scratch our head and think you know what does a what does a cup final that doesn't have psg in it actually look like because it's Certainly quite some time since we had one of those, but I think it's going to be a really, really good game. Um, I think there's two teams who play, um, you know, a a decent brand of football. um, And I'm really, really looking forward to seeing what they can put on in a a showpiece final. Yeah, and that's for the opponents, uh, Pierre. It's it's been a strange season for Gangob. They've really, really struggled, but I've had a couple of good results in the last couple of weeks that have bounced them into sort of the relegation playoff zone at the moment. But at the same time, the, both teams play on Wednesday after the cup final to catch up on their league games. So is there, I don't know if there's sort of split loyalties for the Brittany side. Do they have still like maybe one eye on that game in midweek to try and catch up with others? Or or do you think that solely their, their responsibility will be, well, they think, well, this is a chance to, to get a medal. Let's get a cup here and, and try and do our best to beat Strasbourg. I think for Gango in particular, the second fixture in the midweek, they'll have that on their minds as well because they now have a chance of, of, of saving their skins after being dreadful for most of the season. Their, their form is just picking up a little bit. They're up in 18th now so that could uh, uh, that could be in the back of their heads and in addition to that Gengong well this could be their downfall or their or their success it could go either way really they have a a the club DNA is almost inscribed in in cup competitions I mean they they won the the Coupe de France in in 2009 and 2014 and you know even though they were as small a club then as 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 they are now and so they already have those successes for them um it could be that they would rather stay in 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 Ligue 1 than than win another cup this season at the same time this season though in the well in the in the coupe de la ligue they've had a a very exceptional run they beat psg they beat nice they won their their last three ties on on penalties actually 
um, thanks to the uh, incredible performances of their substitute goalkeeper, Marco Aurel Caillard, who made a number of saves in, in those three shootouts and pretty much carried the team uh, to, uh, to the final here. Um, so I, I, I would expect they might do that again on, on Saturday, just play for the nil-nil and, and hope to win it on penalties. That was exactly what they did against Paris. Um, for Strasbourg, though, uh, Europe is a little bit far from then. I mean, they're 10th with 39 points. That's seven points behind fifth place. I think they'll be focused on, on, on winning this trophy, which will be their first in a long time, I think. Um, and as you mentioned, I mean, they spent years in, in the lower divisions uh, after they went bankrupt. And, and now they they have the incredible opportunity of, of playing in a final. It's going to be a full stadium. This 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 fixture is really a blessing in, in, in disguise for the Coupe de la Ligue, which is a somewhat unpopular tournament in France especially now with the domination of PSG in it. Um, but now that there's no Paris, there's going to be two you know, very popular clubs within their regions flocking to, to Lille to watch this. So I think it'll be an exciting uh, event for sure. Yeah, and it's it's an interesting catch-22 for Gangomb, isn't it? I mean, you obviously want to win a comp competition. And at the same time, winning again might keep the momentum ahead for the league games. But at the same time, they've struggled so much this season that do they really want any type of European competition next season from from winning it? It's, it's, it's a strange double-edged sword for them, really, this weekend. Uh, I'm pretty sure most of their fans and players will probably put to the back of their minds, but it's, it's interesting to, to think about, not just for the, the impact of this season, but even yeah. possibly next. Uh, um, on the Wednesday after, they're playing away to Montpellier, and then the Saturday after that, they're playing at home to Guingamp. Both of those will be quite hard for them, I think. Mm. So I it could be that they put their efforts in the in the in the cup final. Yeah, it's gonna be I'm I'm really looking forward to this game. It's been a long while since I've really looked forward to a cup final like this really in, in France, Richard. And so let's get predictions and starting with yourself. What's your prediction of the result in this one, Rich? Um I'm gonna go that they will put on a really entertaining spectacle. Um I'm going to go oh it's a really tough one this I'm going to go bold. I'm going to go 3-2 to Strasbourg. Pierre, who do you think takes home the silverware? I'm not going to be that bold. I mean, I think Logic really wants Strasbourg to win it. But I, I, I have I have belief that, that Gangon can can pull off their plan. And I, I might see like a, let's say a 1-1 draw. And then on penalties, it's anyone's game. But Gangon have a good record, so why not? It'd be classic gang on if it did go that way. I, yeah. I think I, I, I'm going to go with a form book here in terms of the fact that, that Strasbourg have been basically throwing the last couple of games, it feels like, to try and win this one. And I, I, I think they'll they'll have the edge over gang on, but I, I think a 2-0 win with we can go maybe uh, the second half, if they're already 2-0 down, maybe thinking about matters um, happening in the, in the league after that but uh, we should wait and see it's going to be a great one do tune in if you can uh, that's all that we have time for this week my thanks to uh, Rich Pierre and all of you listening at home uh, do join us again for the previous show which will be back on Thursday and the main show will be back at the same time same place next week Abianto and goodbye